many who are visiting with us this morning, we've been going through a series of parables based on a, a pastor and author, John Timmer, and his book, Kingdom Equation. And Jesus uses parables to teach us about his kingdom here on earth today. How the kingdom of God enters into our daily lives and our world today. How our lives and God's kingdom, they merge together for his purposes, for his glory. So this morning we conclude this series with the parable from Luke 18, 9 through 14. You can find that in your pew Bibles. Matthew, Mark, Luke 18. And in a moment as we read from the story, you'll notice it's about a Pharisee and a tax collector. We might think that this parable teaches us about prayer. And it gives two examples on prayer and how Jesus expects us to pray. But the first line, as we will read in a moment, in the parable, it doesn't state to some who don't know how to pray. Rather, the first line states to some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Jesus is the only one that knows our hearts. So this parable is less about prayer and more about one's heart. It is less about what we do and more about what our God does and has done. And he does his work through the power of his Holy Spirit and his people. As we again saw this morning through the public profession of faith and baptisms. So before we read from Luke 18, let's uh, come to God in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the Bible, where we can read the story of your love and uh, your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you initiate a relationship with each of us as we again witness through the baptisms and profession of faith. So Jesus, help us to see, who, see you for who you really are, our Lord and our Savior. We thank you that because of what you have done, we could be free. We thank you for the gift of salvation freely given to us through your sacrifice on the cross. And as we again look at a challenging parable, bless each of us. And may your Holy Spirit be made known in this place and in our lives. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Luke 18, 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So John Timmer, in his book, The Kingdom Equation, states that this parable is a bit of a trap. 
Because as soon as we read this parable, the response that we want to give is, Thank God I'm not like that Pharisee. And then we're busted, right? We're caught in our own self-righteousness. And now if you're anything like me, there are times that you may have thought on Sunday mornings, Oh, I hope so-and-so is here today to listen to this message. Or I, I, I don't see Gwyneth in church this morning. Oh, that's too bad because she could really use a dose of this parable and this passage. People, this parable is for me. And this parable is for us. And the question is not who around us might most resemble these characters. The question is, who do I resemble the most? And if we're honest, we'll probably have to admit that we are like the tax collector. And we are like the Pharisee. But the good news is that God's grace is amazing. That he can use our hypocrisy, our self-righteousness, our bad for his good purposes. And in fact, he will transform us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And, of, and on account of all that he has done for his people, he calls us to repent. He calls us to change, to change in our relationship with him. So if we all have bits and pieces of both of these characters, we all can ask God for mercy on us. And he extends that mercy. Now as mentioned in previous messages, parables are often used to shock the listener. And sometimes we don't have that shock that was intended for ancient Israel because we live in a different context. So let's just dive into this parable a little further. As we know, Jesus includes two characters in this parable, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Both men went to the temple to pray. Now in our cultural reading of this, we would interpret this as two men went to the temple to pray. But in ancient Jewish times, if a person said that they were going to the temple to pray, the listener would understand that he or she is going to church. They're going to public worship. And the public worship includes prayers, but also includes praise and sacrifice of the Lamb for the sins of the people. So what we really have is a snapshot of two men going to worship. Two churchgoers. It's not private worship, it's public worship. And in public worship, the priest would leave the public space and enter into the holy place for a time. And it was during that this, this time that the people would then bring their own prayers before the Lord. So this story introduces us to the Pharisee. Now you need to know that the Pharisee in this culture was highly admired and respected by the people. The Pharisees were part of a religious group who strictly obeyed the law. And this Pharisee was very religious. He was always religious. He was very moral. He was assumed, and he assumed he was doing God's will. And he was judgmental against those who didn't follow the law as completely and obediently as he did. Because he trusted in the law. He had a relationship with the law. And on account of that, he was self-righteous. The Pharisee then was confident in himself and in his works. That he could work out his own salvation. 
And so he doesn't ask the Lord for mercy. To him, he doesn't need it. Keep in mind that mercy is people deserving punishment and not being punished. Mercy is people doing wrong in our sight and in the Lord's sight and being set free from their sins. The tax collectors were a despised group. They were believed to have sold their soul, so to speak, to the enemy. They were considered traitors and they collected a dollar for the Roman government and then, of course, pocketing two dollars for themselves. So this tax collector would have exploited people and he was a leech on society. He was corrupt, greedy, heartless, and hurtful. And there's no way that he could probably, possibly pay back all that he had stolen. There were no respect for those people, the tax collectors. So the Pharisee then stood up. It was a time of worship where they were to pray, and he stood up to pray by himself. Likely because he wanted to keep away from the other unclean people. He was thankful to God. But in this short prayer, he mentions I four times. And the thankfulness in the prayer wasn't so much about God, but rather directed to himself. And no doubt he had a good relationship with himself and the law. But how about Jesus? The Pharisee in this story was not looking to God for his salvation. He was looking to himself for salvation. The Pharisee was proud for all that he had accomplished. And he's proud for his own righteousness. Praise be to me. He's exalting himself. And the Pharisee thanks God that he is a good person. And that he is very religious. And the Pharisee doesn't ask God for anything. And his prayer is full of thanksgiving. But what's wrong is his pride. And then he begins to compare himself to others. And when he does that, he's putting others down. And he's putting himself up. And he's justifying his salvation by his own good works. I'm good. And that should score points for heaven, for eternal life? No. As the Pharisee was proud, the tax collector felt guilty and humble. And so this tax collector comes to worship, and he stood at a distance. And his reason was not because the others were so unclean, but because he was so unclean. The tax collector could not even look up to heaven. He felt ashamed of what he did, and he was sorry for his wrongdoings. In fact, the temple would typically be the last place to find a tax collector. And then the tax collector, he beats his chest. And beating his chest was an act of despair. The tax collector was distressed for him to beat his chest. And he looked down in guilt at a sinful life. He knew that he had swindled people out of their savings. He had defrauded people. He had hurt people. He bankrupt people. He felt worthless. And the words he cries out as he's beating his chest. God have mercy on me, a sinner. So picture this scene with the crowds at the temple during this corporate worship service. The priest had just sacrificed the lamb representing that the sins of the people are forgiven. The tax collector cries out in the middle of this worship service, God, I deserve punishment. 
I'm a sinner. I can't do anything about it myself. But may the blood that was just spilled by that lamb be the blood that was spilled for me and all my sins. The tax collector initially came in shameful, broken, and obvious sin in his life. And yet his heart was in the right place. He had a repentant heart. He had a righteous heart. It's a heart that's focused on God. A heart that is desiring a deep relationship with the Lord. And as the parable states, the tax collector left justified before God. Now listeners in ancient Israel would have expected Jesus to say that the Pharisee went home justified. Because his life looked all together. Therefore, the ending of the parable would have shocked and made even anger several people. The tax collector left this worship and he went home justified before God. And the Pharisee didn't. Brothers and sisters, how do we how do we enter into worship? How do we enter into church, into God's presence? How do we look at others? Or more importantly, how do we look at ourselves? And if we're honest with ourselves and with one another, with God, we often come to worship with judgments. And, and we call people hypocrites. And we judge people by their preferences and we label people on their style of worship or theological position on certain issues. We call people conservative or contemporary or we judge others based on church going and non-church going. And we often use language as us and them. And we label people into groups. And we even label and judge among denominations as well. Baptists one way, Pentecostals another, Catholics still another way. And then we even label other Reformed churches. <coughs> Can we just come to worship as broken as we are, crying out to God, confessing our sins, repenting before Him and before one another, and experiencing God's amazing grace and His mercy in our lives? Let's put aside the religion. Let's put aside the hypocrisy. Let's put aside the judgments and simply seek a relationship with Jesus Christ and encourage others to seek that relationship with Jesus. Last Saturday, several people from our region of Christian Reformed churches got together. We, we heard a speaker, Todd Bolsinger, author of Canoeing the Mountains. Perhaps some of you have heard of him. And we were reminded that we can learn from our past but that our present and our future is not at all the same as what our past was. And we want to be viable churches in the 21st century. Leaders are called to lead churches differently and through change. And that often means through resistance, anxiety, and losses. We were reminded that day that we are to learn from those who are on the fringes. We are to learn from people like the tax collectors. And how often doesn't Jesus spend time with those on the fringes? He spends time with his disciples. But he also, as scripture says, very often spends time with tax collectors and sinners. 
We think about learning from the fringes. And there's an example from two theologians, Frost and Hirsch. They provide an illustration of what the church often was, and perhaps still is, and what the church needs to become. And they compare what's called a bounded set church and a centered set church. And just bear with me, you'll understand in a moment. Bounded set, centered set. They use the analogy of fences and wells. If you're a farmer, you've got three acres of land. You can build a fence around those three acres and around your whole property. And you can keep your cattle in and you can keep other animals out. So this would be a bounded set. You, you get it. There's, there's a boundary that's been set and created. But if you're a farmer or a rancher, let's say with a huge amount of land, thousands of acreage, you wouldn't be able to build fences around all of your property. So instead of building fences, what you do is you dig wells. So it's then assumed that animals won't go too far away from the well because their life literally depends on them not wandering too far away from the water source. So the animals will hang towards the center without fences. No boundaries. Just a center well. So take a look at the illustration on the screen. So it can be with church. Often churches are looked at as bounded. And there's this fence around the church with people who belong, people who are in, and those who do not belong, they are out. You keep the fringes out, and which, when that happens, we're only able to learn from those who are in. But there's another way to look at church, and that is the centered set. Jesus Christ is a center. He is the well source. And everyone is welcome to journey towards that center source. The thing is, though, that some people are going in the direction towards the center. And some might be closer to the center than others. And there's also other people who are going in the direction away from the center at times. But we embrace all. And we can learn from all who are on the fringes. And that's sometimes us. And so we continue to disciple one another, pointing back to the well, the living water, Jesus Christ. What does this have to do with the parable? Well, Jesus is able to judge people in and out. He knows all our hearts. But we can't. We're not able to do that. So we have to look at each of us and others on a journey towards Jesus. Perhaps some are further away and maybe even in the wrong direction. And maybe again, we are even some of them. Jesus is the one who justifies. We do not justify ourselves, nor do we justify one another. But the cross and the gospel is available to all. So what church are we? And what church do we want to become? It's important for each of us to ask the questions. Where am I? Where am I in my relationship to Jesus and to the cross? 
Where in my life do I have to ask for God's mercy and repent? The tax collectors represent those who live on the fringes. Those who are judged because they're blatantly and visibly doing wrong. And it's those that will often say, well, you know what? They got themselves into that situation. They can suffer the consequences. It's like the victim where we talked about a couple weeks ago in the Good Samaritan parable. He put himself on that road. He should have known better. How often don't our religious attitudes condemn others? Jesus is teaching us in this parable that we're to learn from those on the fringes. None of us are at the center. We are all on a journey. And if we truly believe that someone lives an unrepentant life, the more we should bend over backwards in loving that person as much as possible towards the center into the kingdom. Not condoning the sin, but loving the person. You see, too often Christians are known for what they're against. And so we hate this, we hate that. And we're not known for what we are for. That we love God. That we love God's people. We love Jesus and His Spirit that can change anybody's heart. Even mine. Lord, have mercy. As we get to the last verse in this parable, as mentioned, there would have been a shock to the listeners because only one went home justified. Only one heart was justified by the Lord. Only one of the two received the saving acts of God's mercy. The message of the parable, as author Craig Bloomberg states, declares that God still loves tax collectors and all their contemporary equivalents. He loves all on the fringes and even towards the center. And God is willing to welcome people as saved people when we enter into a relationship with Him. Trust in Him. That is, repent of our sins. And God does this long before our life is cleaned up. And that's true for all of us. Because none of us have cleaned up our lives on this side of, the, of heaven. But God has cleaned us up. Our salvation is all God's grace. Our salvation has nothing to do with how good or bad we are or how moral or immoral we are. Jesus says the tax collector went home justified. The Apostle Paul, in his writings, often uses the word acquitted. The tax collector did all these wrong things and he was acquitted. There was no punishment for him. And it's like he didn't do any wrong, but he did. Shouldn't he pay the consequences? Who paid for his sins in order for him to be acquitted? There was punishment. But that punishment was put on Jesus. Jesus paid for all the sins. The tax collector acknowledged that. The Pharisee did not. Romans 3, 22-25a. We hear these words from Paul, that this righteousness, or justification, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. To all who believe. If you don't believe, you don't need justification because you don't believe anyways. But this justification is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
And there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, or as this parable, Pharisee or tax collector. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. So friends, believe in Jesus. You see, for Jesus, sin is not primarily about a broken law, but sin is about a broken relationship. And one, when one has a relationship with Jesus and one sins, those sins are forgiven. Our relationship with God is more important than our relationship with the law. But the law is necessary because it's a necessary response to assist us in our journey to the center. Our God extends his mercy to us. Believe in Jesus. Respond in a relationship to his mercy. And when we have attitudes like the Pharisees, setting other people's sins higher than our own, or actions like the tax collector hurting people in life, know that our God is a forgiving God. He is a righteous God. And you can be religious and work hard and say all the right things and do all the right things, but if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, then religion means nothing. God desires a relationship. He desires us to be righteous, focusing on his acts of salvation, not our own. Friends, we can all go home justified, not because of any of our actions, not because our prayers were any better than another's, but because our sins have been removed and justified by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, have mercy on us. And God has mercy on us. People, turn our hearts and our lives over to Jesus. Repent and believe that God loves us and cares for us, and He wants us to follow Him. Today, we baptize three of God's children. Each of the parents professed their faith and answered questions before God and before God's people. A few months ago, this past summer, we had 13 young adults and adults stand before us and before God professing their faith. This morning, we all had the opportunity to profess our faith. And God is looking at us. And He's looking at our behavior and our lifestyle. And He sees what we see. And he sees what we choose not to see. And he sees what we even don't see. Because he knows our hearts. Are there sinners in the crowd? Are there hypocrites in the crowd? You betcha. We can all ask our God for mercy. And be justified through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. God knows that sometimes the healing that needs to take place in one's life is a longer journey. And we need to walk alongside of people and continue to repent of our shortfalls and continue to follow the gospel on the cross and point others to the center where the gospel on the cross is. Because again, none of us are at the center yet, but we all continue on that journey. And so we all need to cry out, Lord, have mercy. And our God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Why? Because of God's amazing grace and love. 
And on account of that, live our lives for Jesus in all that we do and all that we say. And together we say, Amen. Let us pray. Father God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, convict us of our sins and where we have fallen short. As Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew that we're to take the log out of our own eye before we can take the speck out of our brother's and sister's eyes. So forgive us for our self-righteousness and convict us of all our wrongdoings. Extend your mercy and your grace to each of us, we pray, and turn our hearts toward you in all areas of our lives. You know our hearts, you know our minds, you know our inmost thoughts. Make us clean in the name of Jesus. Amen.